as I said earlier, we are entering into the season of Advent with this theme of the story that defines us. And each Sunday, we're going to be looking at God's unfolding story through the perspective of a different character in the story. So Jesus, and Isaiah, and John the Baptist, and Mary, and the shepherds, and the Magi. And we're going to learn what it looks like to see the story through their eyes, in a sense, and, and to wonder and to worship with them at the mighty acts of God. And today, on the first Sunday of that, we begin by seeing the story through Jesus' eyes, of all people. And he sees the story in terms of the fullness or the fulfillment, the filling full of time itself. And I think that's appropriate because according to the Christian calendar, this is the first day of Advent, which is the first day of the year, in a sense. Time, keeping time, has always been a significant thing for Christians. It's not always intuitive for us in the same sort of way that it has been for generations in the past, but the fundamental conviction has been that our formation in Christ takes place in time. Time itself from cradle to grave is, is ordered around God's presence, and, and the church year invites us to keep time by entering into seasons of fasting and feasting and longing anticipation and joyful celebration and repentance and forgiveness. And in all these ways, we keep time so as to have our attention focused on God's mighty works, to have a heart, our hearts bathed in his presence, to have our minds filled with his glory. Uh, Lauren Winter once said this. She said, one of my goals in life is to inhabit the Christian story so fully that Advent will be the instinctive beginning of my year. She says, I want the Christian story to shape everything I do, even how I keep time. I want it to be truer and more essential to me than school's calendar. For a lot of us academics, that's a hard one. <laughs> or Hallmark's calendar, or the calendar set by the IRS. I want the rhythms of Advent and Christmas and Epiphany and Lent and Easter and Pentecost to be the basic rhythm of my life. And so here we are today beginning again with the story of God in Advent. And we're seeing it through Jesus' perspective, the fulfillment of time. He says in verse 24 of our gospel reading, in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Now, this is hardly the sort of imagery that one tends to associate with a baby in the manger surrounded by animals as we head towards Christmas. But Jesus here is borrowing ap apocalyptic imagery from Isaiah, from the prophets, from Joel and Ezekiel and Daniel. And he's telling us that the significance of his coming will be cosmic in scope and comprehensive in impact. Yes, Advent is eventually going to take us to a baby in a manger. But it begins by telling us of a cosmic king whose universal reign will be the climax of all of history. And so there's this sense where at the very beginning of the Christian year, Jesus pulls back the veil on human history, on the whole story, and he allows us to see the end where we are going from the very beginning. 
referring to himself as the son of man. Jesus evokes this apocalyptic, regal imagery from Daniel 7. And if you go back to Daniel's original vision, you'll, you'll see that the prophet himself sees a series of beasts that are intent on bloodshed. It's an intense vision. And they're explained by Daniel later as representing different human kingdoms. It's a vision of human history with kingdom rising against kingdom and nation against nation and ruler against ruler. And then the prophet Daniel sees a vision of judgment day, the ancient of days taking his seat on the throne, the court sitting in judgment and the books of judgment being opened so that all the nations and rulers of the world have to reckon with justice. And it's in this setting that the beastly human powers are stripped of all their dominion. And then Daniel sees a lone human figure. He says, and behold, notice the language similarity to what Jesus says, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples of the earth, nations, and languages should serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Here at the beginning of Advent, Jesus is pulling back the veil on all of human history and saying, this is where we're heading. I will reign. And then he says to us, be on guard keep alert, keep watch. The king is coming. He will come. He is very near indeed. Do not be caught sleeping. Be alert, keep watch. It's a really simple message actually that we're given at the beginning of Advent. And how are we to respond to it? Jesus calls us to this posture of expectancy, of watchfulness, of paying attention and being alert, of not falling asleep. And it's clear that Jesus does not intend for us to predict when he will return. So he, he's, not, he's not trying to get us to read all the signs and try to figure out exactly when Jesus is going to return. Rather, he is urging us to live as if his return is very near and just around the corner whenever it does come. And there's a couple dynamics to this watchfulness and readiness. I think there's a contemplative or an active and a contemplative sense. The active sense, Jesus, I think, gets at in verses 32 to 34. He says, about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You don't know when that time's going to come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Now notice the image of the doorkeeper. While the master and the owner is away, the doorkeeper doesn't just kind of have a laissez-faire understanding of life, like let's just do whatever I can do uh, until the master returns. And he doesn't uh, have an intensive interest in trying to figure out exactly when the master is going to return. But the master has given him assigned tasks to do, to be watchful. So Jesus, in a sense, says, while you are waiting my turn, watchfulness looks like a humble, diligent, active faithfulness in your daily God-given vocation. 
Christians are to be on duty, to do their jobs, to move on with the mission God has given them, to preach and live into the gospel. And that is how they are ready for the return of the master. In a sense, the master wants to return, seeing that his servants have been diligent about the tasks that he's given them to do. And so it seems that for Jesus, watchfulness is, is far less interested in, in discerning when exactly the king is going to come and far more interested in how we are to live as we await the coming of the king. That's an act of watchfulness. But there's also seems to be a contemplative dynamic to this watchfulness. And I think this is helpful for us to see because there is a way in which I think in this season, especially during the month of December, where busyness can characterize our lives in ways that are, are unprecedented at other times of the year. You know, I've, I've always been struck by this quote from Eugene Peterson, where he says, busyness sometimes for us can be a form of moral and spiritual laziness or sleepiness. And so to be awake, says Eugene Peterson, sometimes means taking a more contemplative posture, slowing down when the world speeds up. And I think this is maybe what Jesus wants in us as well in this season. Verses 35 to 37. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So watchfulness requires wakefulness, being awake. And there are ways in which I think the busyness of the season can lull us into being asleep to some of the profoundly spiritual matters of the season as we anticipate Jesus King coming. And so maybe Jesus is inviting us into this contemplative place of slowing down and keeping company with him. I'm, I'm struck that these kind of keeping of time, I wonder if Jesus had the events of the coming night and day in mind. When Jesus was speaking of in the evening, did he possibly have in mind Judas's betrayal during the Last Supper? When Jesus was speaking of uh, at midnight, could he have in mind his sleeping friends and disciples when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane who just couldn't stay awake? When Je Jesus speaks of, of when the rooster crows, could he have in mind Peter's denial of him around the fire? And when he speaks of at dawn, could he have in mind his public trial before Pilate, where all his friends and disciples had abandoned him? You see, I wonder if there's this kind of imagery here that is really powerful for us. I wonder if Peter had stayed awake to pray with Jesus in those hours of the night in the garden. Would his response to the little girl at the fire who asked him if he was a follower of Jesus been any different? I wonder if one of the ways in which Jesus is inviting us to keep, to be watchful in this season is to keep company with him, to wake up to his presence in our lives, to attend to his voice and what he wants to speak to us. I'm amazed by some of the other lectionary readings that we have this Sunday, and I wonder if they give us examples of what prayers of watchfulness may look like this week what it may look like to keep company with Jesus in the garden in the night. Take Isaiah 64. 
Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down and that the mountains would tremble before you. Isn't that a lovely prayer for God's redemptive presence? Psalm 80, verse 3. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. It's a wonderful prayer for God's restorative presence. I think also of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul says, You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will sustain you to the end. Wouldn't that be a lovely prayer for this season? Lord, would you show me how I'm not lacking in any gift as I wait for your revealing? Would you sustain me to the end? I wonder which of these prayers may be speaking to you right now. Do you need God's redemptive presence or his restorative presence or his sustaining presence as you watch and wait and ready for the coming of the Lord. Maybe Jesus is, is nudging a place in your heart or your mind or your life or your family or your relationships where you've fallen asleep and he wants to wake you up and bring you to attention and help you see his presence and his coming and his activity again. How is it that the Lord may be inviting you to wake up and to keep company with him in this season? See, Jesus, as we see the story through his eyes, wants us to grow in this hopeful anticipation that he is indeed coming and that his coming is going to be the final word on all of human history. He will reign. He will reign. He will be Lord of Lords and King of Kings forever and ever. Friends, I speak these things to you on the first Sunday of Advent in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.